I speak to you in the name of the one who came to be with us, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Although the rest of the world is thoroughly done with Christmas, stores having packed up all of their Christmas decorations, and I regret to say Valentine's Day candy already out, radio stations stopped playing Christmas music at midnight on Christmas Day, we who are churchgoers know that there are 12 days in this season, and today is just the third. And thank goodness, for in Christmas, we celebrate a great miracle, a great mystery that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And though we are quite used to the Christmas story, the Annunciation and the trip to Bethlehem with no room in the inn, angels announcing the birth of the Messiah to shepherds in the fields and a child in a manger, the miracle of the Incarnation is not something to be understood in one day, but something to be pondered in the course of a season, though even 12 days are not enough. And so on Christmas Day, we hear Luke's version, the one with the innkeeper and the shepherds, Mary and Joseph and the baby in a stable. And then on the first Sunday after Christmas Day, we always hear these mystical words, perhaps best sung in Mozarabic, from the prologue of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to you that God's Word became flesh and lived among us? I mean, after all, we had God's Word already in so many ways. People shared stories about God, and there were plenty of scriptures, the Ten Commandments, the words of the prophets. We had God's words and lessons and commands. So why the Word made flesh? On Christmas Day this year, Tracy and I did the same thing that we do every Christmas Day. It is, after all, also her birthday, so she gets to choose. I celebrated morning mass here, and then I came home, and we had a lovely brunch, and we opened all our presents, and then we commenced the great day of sitting around in jammies, drinking mimosas, and watching movies. But we couldn't decide which movie to watch. We'd seen all of our favorite Christmas movies so many times, and we had not prepared beforehand with DVDs, so we were limited to what was streaming on Netflix. Then we remembered a movie that we'd seen many years ago and really liked. In Bruges, it's called. 
And it was the perfect movie for Christmas, part buddy movie, part crime thriller, part ethical drama, with a great deal of farce and comedy, all set in Bruges, Belgium at Christmas time. It centers around two Irish gangsters, Ray, young and handsome, Colin Farrell, it doesn't get better than that, and Ken, older, sadder, and wiser. We learn that in his first act as a hitman, Ray accidentally had killed a little boy, and their boss, Harry, has sent them to Bruges, Belgium, to hide out. For much of the movie, Ray and Ken wander through this snowy Belgian town at Christmas, with Ken encouraging Ray to take in the sights of this lovely medieval city, the churches and the art and the canals. But Ray hates the city and wants nothing more than to go back to London where it's exciting and where there are pubs to go to and women to flirt with. Their interactions are often funny as the older man tries to keep the younger one out of trouble. But at times, their conversation turns serious, even theological, as they discuss the faith in which they were both raised, two hitmen wondering about heaven and hell, purgatory, and the possibility of redemption. Ray thinks that there can be no forgiveness for him for what he's done, that perhaps the only way out is for him to commit suicide, which he attempts but Ken prevents, even though we now know that Ken has been ordered by their boss to kill Ray in order to clean up his mess. That's the real reason they're in Bruges. But by this point, Ken loves Ray and has been trying to convince him that there is redemption, that there could be a change in his life. He could change his life. He could help other children and live in such a way as to make a penance for, to try to redeem the terrible loss, his terrible act. And so Ken refuses to kill Ray, which means that Harry is now going to come after him. Now, at the end of the movie, there's a bunch of violence. But Ken allows Harry to kill him in order to save Ray, and there's a great shootout in the town square. And Ray ends up terribly wounded despite Ken's self-sacrifice. But as he's being rushed to the hospital in an ambulance, we hear this voiceover from Ray, this suicidal hitman. His last words, I really, really hoped I wouldn't die. Ray, the depressed, suicidal hitman, now thinks there might be something to live for. He doesn't want to die because his friend has not just told him that he is worth redeeming, but he has given up his own life so that Ray might live his. Ken's words became flesh and now everything is changed. Ray now sees how valuable his own messy, sinful life is. Ray's love and hope for Ken have been made visible. You see, there is an infinite distance between a word said and a word 
and fleshed, between laws commanded and a life lived. The word became flesh because we struggle to follow, to understand words on a page. We might be able to say, God loves me, but we might not feel it. When life is hard on us, when we screw up, it can be hard to believe that we still have worth, still have value, still are loved. So God gave us his word in a new way. Jesus. God turned God's words into flesh that we might not just have ideas about God, abstract notions, but flesh and blood, a relationship. And Jesus is the word of God because Jesus is everything God wants to say to us. Jesus is everything God wants to say to us. I joined you in the flesh, God says, because that's how close I want to be with you. I became human in a poor family in a humble town because everyone matters, not just the rich and the powerful. I became a vulnerable child, vulnerable to you, so that you would know and love me, not just fear or worship me. Jesus is everything God wants to say to us. I love you. Love others. I forgive you. Forgive others. The world can be overwhelming and dark. I promise you that it will never overcome me, overcome the light, and because of that, it will never overcome you. And by becoming flesh and dwelling among us, God shows us how to live, how to love, how to forgive. By becoming flesh and dwelling among us, God understands our lives, our joys, our sorrows. And because God has experienced it all in the flesh, we know that there is nothing, there's nothing in our lives that is foreign to God. And none of us are unworthy or unlovable in God's eyes. When the word became human, God redeemed all humans, which means all humans are infinitely precious. Now we might know all of those things in our minds, dear ones, but because God became flesh and dwelt among us, we can know it, we can trust it in our bones. The incarnation God made flesh is a deep, deep mystery, worth pondering for at least 12 days a year, but truly the rest of our lives. For love came down at Christmas, friends, and love is with us still. Amen.